We live in a fast-paced and hectic world where it's easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining host and her guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here's your host, Leah Mattinson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's show. I'm host Leah Mattinson, and I'm so glad that each and every one of you are tuning in to this uh, broadcast, whether that's that you're hearing us for the first time or tuning in via video on MasterYourLife.ca. We're excited to have you here and excited to have you spread this uh, good news to the people who you know who might be struggling with health and wellness issues or finance and abundance issues. Uh, And you know who you are and you know who you can help by sharing what it is that we are doing here at MasterYourLife.ca. I'm really excited to have my guest on today because uh, this guest I had on one of my inaugural shows about six years ago, and we talked about the issue of bipolar uh, disease. And Scott Walker is my guest today. Welcome to the stage, Scott. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you. I'm doing really well and uh, grateful to have this opportunity to speak with you again, Leah. Yeah, so six years later, and look at you. You look amazing. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, it's funny. In some ways, it feels like a long time ago, and in other ways, it doesn't. Um, but yeah, just grateful to be here. Yeah, grateful to have you. And so I know a lot of people will maybe have missed that you know, interview that long ago. So we'll bring people up to speed by just starting out with one of the things about bipolar disease I think is really interesting is that so many people in the world actually suffer with bipolar disease. And it's actually listed by the World Health Organization as the sixth leading cause of disability. Uh, in 2021, which is staggering numbers of people that are really coping with this. And when we were talking about it, you know, back six years ago, it was like people were not talking about it very much because they were hiding. Um, You know, if people had disabilities that had anything to do with mental health issues, they did not talk about it. So we're going to flash back a little bit to, you know, six years ago when you and I talked about it and then flash forward to, you know, what do you see as things that have changed now? Uh, So, Scott, again, welcome. And maybe you could just tell us about you and your journey with bipolar disease. Oh, certainly. Thanks for asking. Um, I'll make it as brief as I can, because I know we've got a lot to cover during this time together. So my bipolar disorder journey started on January 1st, 2000. So that's how I brought in the new millennium. Nice. Was uh, <laughs> I actually checked myself into uh, a hospital to get help. I was visiting family in New Zealand at the time. And I was living in Japan, teaching English. And my mom and my brother came from Canada to New Zealand. So we met together as a family. And uh, long story short, the week prior to that, I was doing and saying a lot of abnormal, strange, weird things. And I knew that something was up. Mentally, I knew that there was something that was different, something that was going on. And uh, fortunately, I had previous experience of working in a psychiatric hospital when I was a university student. I actually worked as a recreation assistant at the largest psychiatric hospital in Manitoba. 
in the town that I grew up. And so I knew something was up. So I checked into the hospital. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And then over the course of the first seven to 10 years, I was on different medications. And uh, I was really having a lot of side effects. And like a lot of people, I told myself, well, I'd rather have side effects than be in the psychiatric hospital. So I kept living with the side effects. And then in 2010, for a variety of reasons, I made the decision to go med-free. And at the time, I was on a medication that a lot of people in Calgary are on that have no diagnosed mental illness. And it's a medication that helps people with Chinook headaches to navigate the barometric pressure changes. And I found out through my psychiatrist that I was seeing that I was actually on an extremely low dose of this medication. And that's the only medication I was on. Many other people that have no mental illness were on a much higher dose than me. So I started putting two to two together. And by that point, I had made a lot of lifestyle changes, dietary changes, mindset improvement, et cetera. And I thought, you know what? I feel good about going med-free. So I'm grateful and thankful that um, I'm now 10 and a half years med-free. And that's actually with the support of the last psychiatrist that I had an appointment with. And that was in December, 2013, that I had that appointment with her. So um, yeah, so at present time, I live in Banff, Alberta, Canada. And um, I do have a business called Tiaho. And Tiaho is a Maori word. And you may not know, Maori are the indigenous people of New Zealand. And Tiaho is to shine from within. And Tiaho has three areas of focus. They're all different, however, yet they're all slightly interrelated. So the first area of focus is I'm a mental stability specialist. I help people diagnosed with bipolar disorder and other people interested in bettering their mental health in having much better mental stability and therefore a better life. Uh, the second part of my business is I teach and lead experiences for something called Universal Sphere. That's a next generation spiritual energy tool. And if you've never heard of it, that's totally understandable. It's pretty new. It's a very quick yet powerful way to have a really powerful connection with universal sphere energy in the unified field. And the third thing that Tiaho does is leads and organizes mental health awareness events. And I've been doing that since 2015. And coming up in at end of July this year, friends and I are doing our seventh annual bipolar awareness fundraising hike. And that'll be right here in Banff. It's called Banff 24 Hours for Bipolar. So we'll be hiking a small mountain in town here called Tunnel Mountain for 24 hours and every six hours we'll take like a 20, 25 minute break. So that's a little bit about me without rambling too far. <laughs> oh, that was great. That is, yeah, absolutely fantastic. So you sounds like you're up to lots of really great things in the world. Um, and I think that's a message, real message of hope for folks who are dealing with bipolar um, symptoms, because often you think, man, I'm trapped in this. I can never get out of whatever the mental health issue um, that I have is. And so the truth is not only can you get out of it, but you can thrive um, post-diagnosis, post being on medication, because you're living proof of that. 
definitely living proof of that. So let's go back a little bit because I want to talk about your symptoms. Uh, again, for people who are, you're very fortunate to have the context that you had of, you know, being in that psychiatric hospital or working in the psychiatric hospital in Manitoba. So you could self um, diagnose, right? You could, it's like you had the introspection to be able to look at yourself and go, wow, that's weird. And what was particularly weird about it is these things, but a lot of people wouldn't have that frame of reference. So for people who are tuning in today that either may be experiencing symptoms of, you know, something that they know is not going right. And I think a lot of people are experiencing things right now that are not necessarily in alignment with good, clear mental clarity. Uh, maybe we could, or they're living with people who are uh, in this same boat, you know, of symptoms that you can't quite explain. You can, you know, you can't put your finger on it, but you know, things are not right. So maybe we could just go through a list of things or some, some commonalities or common things that you would see or experience if you um, were first experiencing bipolar. Certainly, I'd be glad to go over that. And thank you for your kind comments about me. I yeah. greatly appreciate it. So in terms of bipolar, the vast majority of people who get diagnosed with bipolar, bipolar disorder, first have what's called a manic episode. And manic episode or mania has many common things that happen with people. And I would say the, the number the most common things are super high energy, very confident, hypersexual, and spending more money than normal. Those are also grandiose ideas. Mm -hmm. And I would say in my experience, the number one way to see if someone is potentially manic or not is to ask them point blank how much they slept last night how much they slept the night before. Because um, in my experience, when I've been manic, I've had four manic episodes where I've been in the psychiatric hospital after that. And in all of those cases, I had very little or no sleep for anywhere from two to seven days prior to that. So I mentioned sleep because in my experience, that's the number one way to tell if someone's simply being moody or potentially having a hypomanic or full-blown manic episode. Because um, I do find nowadays there's more and more people, unfortunately, as you mentioned, that are struggling mentally. And it's totally understandable with this, I'll just say, unique time that we're living in during this pandemic. And, you know, mental health is, is a I feel, even more of a factor than the physical with this pandemic. And I know that might be controversial for some of you listening and I would never discount anyone who is is sick or unfortunately has passed away from we'll just say the c word um mm. but but I will say that I feel that the mental health aspect is is more important and is affecting more people uh, and um like I say I've had more and more people since last year March when this started that have come up to me either in person or message me and said, oh, I'm feeling more moody or, oh, my friend is feeling more moody. Do, you, do I have bipolar? Does my friend have bipolar? Does my girlfriend have bipolar? And I would never discount or discredit anyone's feelings. That being said, if you think of someone who's moody, 
and times that by about 10, 20, or 50, mm -hmm. that's what someone who has bipolar disorder experiences. Super high lows, super high highs. It's not simply being moody. So I just wanted to mention that because I do find that's happening more and more with people assuming or thinking they're bipolar because of this time and having more ups and downs, especially downs, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just to reiterate, um, bringing it back again to your original question, really focus on sleep because if someone is still sleeping well and they're getting, I'll just say, more than four hours sleep a night, there's a very, very slim chance that they are in mania and in a true mental health crisis. If they are sleeping less than four hours a night, for multiple nights in a row, that's a big, big concern. I'd say after the second night in a row, then that's definitely a point to have a serious conversation with them and see about getting checked in and getting checked out. Mm -hmm. It's so important, the the, uh, the whole sleep concept, Scott. Thank you for, for identifying that uh, for people who are trying to self uh, self-diagnose or to look at the people who they're living with uh, and also encouraging people to get good night's sleep because I think that again it's where this culture that's given each other a pat on the back for working hard and you know toughing our way through stuff and you know rub some dirt in it if you're not feeling good or of course you wouldn't be sleeping look what's going on <laughs> in the world you know everybody's awake it's like no, not everybody is awake there <laughs> not everybody is awake um, or those that are awake like paying attention to how little sleep you're getting and uh, sleep disturbances. Do you see that people have um, over the span of the six or seven years, well, 10 years now that you've been actually free of this thing or, you know, been working on it through lifestyle choices with technology changing and people using sleep apps I'm just thinking, you know, people plugging in their earbuds and they go to sleep with something playing. Have you noticed anything that helps or uh, takes away from people's health when they're using those sleep apps? Or does, do you have any intel on that at all from just even your own perspective? Um, thanks for asking. I know for me, I, I personally don't have any experience using sleep apps. Mm -hmm. And from what I've heard, I, I see a lot of pros and I do see a con. So a lot of pros, of course, anything that can relax someone going into sleep, allowing them to easily get quicker into sleep and possibly having a deeper sleep, I think is fantastic, regardless of whether that's a sleep app or any other natural thing they can do. Um, the one con of it for me is that with a sleep app, you're using your phone typically and that means that your phone is going to be right beside you and potentially you're going to fall asleep with your phone on right beside you. And as Leia would know, there's a lot of effects with having your phone on close to your body when you sleep. And unfortunately, those aren't good effects. So that being said, though, I, I feel that if the sleep app really helps someone get to sleep, then I feel that far outweighs the potential negative consequences of having your phone right beside you when you sleep. Yeah. 
So let's dive into that a little bit more about what I definitely know, but for the, for the audience, they maybe don't know. So again, it's like get out your paper and pen about the things that you're going to learn in this <laughs> are really treasures about how to stay healthy because it's these, oh, the bad habits that we have cultivated over the span of the last 15 or 20 years with our electronics. Um, our electronics has become our lovers. <laughs> We just, we're, we're with them all the time. It's just like, oh, what are you doing over there? Even if it's somebody that you really care about, you're on your phone more than you're inter- interacting with your family. You're sleeping with your phones or your iPads. People are going to sleep with their devices. And uh, definitely I'm well informed about it, Scott, thanks because of the whole uh, Huntington's disease in our family. We got told really early on by the neurologist, you know, keep keep that stuff you know, use it as little as possible because it does something to your brain. And we don't even at that time, they're like, we don't even know what it all does, but we can see that what it is doing is not necessarily helpful to having a very robust um, brain. So where your decision-making and problem-solving executive functioning is good and you have good mood stability and emotional control. So those things are all affected. So for what's your, what's your experience or intel on that? Um, well, definitely my intel is I, I've done a fair amount of research on mm-hmm. just how the the EMF frequencies mm. that are getting emitted from our phone affects our brain patterns, affects our sleep, and um, essentially it's it's not good. So as as Leah mentioned, it's ideal to have your phone very far from you, if possible, when you're sleeping, assuming you're not using a sleep app of course. Um, and I, I'm in, I'm really fortunate. I'm in a men's group uh, as a member. I've been in that group for actually a year this week. And one of our former members who was in the group for a while, he was extremely knowledgeable about the EMFs and phones. And he actually bought what's bought this bag just off of Amazon. And it's essentially a mini Faraday cage. Hmm. And he actually keeps his phone inside this little it's like a slim bag and he essentially keeps his phone in that anytime he's not using it because what it means is that that phone is not emitting any frequency any emf and um yeah because the more i've learned about emf and the brain the more i i realize that yes i'm grateful to have a cell phone and all this technology however i'm increasingly increasingly more mindful of minimizing my phone being on close to my head and uh, and realizing that it's really critical to not have my phone close to my bed when I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and it's like the, if you haven't had the experience of being hospitalized, um, you maybe don't realize actually how critical it is until you're in the situation where you're hospitalized or you're with somebody who's been hospitalized for um, bipolar or all, all kinds of other um, brain issues. And then you get it. You go, oh, man, I wish I would have not you know, put myself in the position where I was at risk for all of this damage. Uh, and that's just how we're wired sort of for some reason we have to go through a whole bunch of pain before we go, oh, I don't want to live with this any longer. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but word to the word to the wise, I guess that our, our uh, scientists are always trying to figure out what's the next best thing to protect us when mother nature is often the 
uh, best protector that we have. So when we get rid of the things that are not natural uh, as much as we can and reimmerse ourselves in nature, that can be uh, very healing in and of itself. So did you, when you started out your business, uh, was your focus more on nature? Or was your focus more on tech or has it been a blend of things? Would you say, Scott? Uh, that's a great question. I would say when I first started my business, my focus was primarily mindset. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, that's still my primary focus. Because um, as important as it is to to learn about being in nature more and minimizing technology and diet and support and all these other amazing things, I personally feel that that mindset and our waking hours is the most important factor because from the second we wake up, our mind is on. And for someone who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, like I know my, my brain is more active than the normal person. It doesn't mean I'm smarter, <laughs> but it does mean that my brain is more active. So anything I can do to assist and ideally improve my mindset as well as those as well as those of my clients, I feel is the the key factor that I can help people with. And uh, yeah, as as the years have gone on, I've I've learned more and more things about mindset and tools and strategies and learning from different people, different courses, etc., different coaches that I've utilized. And yeah, it just for me, it's really exciting because it really shows that our mindset is something that we can continually improve. And that's whether you're someone with a diagnosed mental illness or not. And in my experience, the more I focus on my mindset and the more my mindset improves, not only does my mental health improve, but my life improves, my relationships improve, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so I still feel personally that that mindset is uh, is the most important thing. And that being said, there's a number of other areas of health that I'm still experimenting with and focus on as well. And I will say that since the uh, since this uh, pandemic started last year, the one piece for me that is has amplified with my conscience conscious intention and attention is support. So I've increasingly leaned on support the last year and a bit, because even though I'm fortunate to be med free, I admit the last 15, 16 months, I've, I've definitely had some, some challenges. I haven't had to be hospitalized, but I've definitely had some, some depressive episodes. I've had some hypomanic episodes, um, but more depressive episodes the last 16 months personally. And uh, it's mainly because it's, it's been a very challenging time for me mentally as well as most I'll just say most or a lot of people out there tell tell me uh and the audience to share what is it what's the difference between a depressive episode and hypomanic like what would be the manifestations how does that feel to be in those states sure yeah it's a great question so so of course depression um I personally feel it's on a scale so I I always say mild depression and major depression so for me, minor depression essentially is we've all had bad days. And it's essentially when you when it feels like your bad days are just happening all the time and there's no no change. So you don't feel suicidal, you don't feel 
like the world is ending. However, it just feels like the world is against you and that your life just isn't going well. So for me, that's mild depression. And typically when I'm mildly depressed, I tend to sleep a little bit more. And uh, I do find that I get lazy with things like housework and, and cleaning. And um, on the flip side, uh, hypomania. So again, I, mania has a range and like full-blown mania, that's typically when I've been in the psych ward. Um, but hypomania, it's actually a wonderful state to be in because hypomania, in my experience, I'm, I'm way more creative than normal. I'm more energetic than normal. I'm more confident than normal. And I, I need a little bit less sleep. So it's, of course, who doesn't want to have more energy, confidence, and creativity? So I will admit that, again, bef before the start of this pandemic, just being 100% honest, I was someone that was always dipping in and out of hypomania, mm -hmm. which, which I was really grateful for. And I've still had a bit of hypomania the last 16 months. However, like I said, in the last 16 months, I've dipped more towards the depressive side. So with the hypomania, why is it or how is that different than just when somebody is really happy about their life and excited about the things that they're creating? It's a good question. Um, in my experience, I have way more creative thoughts hmm. when I'm hypomanic. And I guess, you know, it might help for comparison, uh, like Leah, you've most likely experienced times where you're in the flow state and you just have almost like a download of ideas, all these ideas coming to you. And it's almost like you can't keep track of them because they're, they're coming in so quick. Like, oh man, I got to capture this one. Oh, I got to start working on this one. Um, so I would say for those of you listening and watching that have ever been in that flow state, if you picture living in that, that's essentially hypomania. And that's a bad thing because? It's a bad thing in a way. Well, actually, personally, the only time I see hypomania as bad is if the creative thoughts are affecting my sleep. Yeah. Because, for example, and it gets back to technology again, when I'm hypomanic, and it's getting to bedtime and I'm on my phone or I'm on my computer and I'm looking at stuff and researching stuff. Not only is my brain more active, but if I don't have certain filters, I'm taking in that blue light and it's basically keeping my brain turned on. So that's the biggest thing with hypomania is, is sleep. Cause I know, for example, if I have uh, not a very good sleep for one or two nights, that's quite a right. If I have very little or no sleep for one night, of course, that's very concerning. If I have very little or no sleep for two nights, then that's critical because then I know at about, for me personally, at the two night mark with very little or no sleep, mm -hmm. I know that I'm borderline full-blown mania. So it's so like I say, that's the one, the one critical piece with hypomania is, is the sleep. And I think that's great for people who are learning to maybe for the first time in 2020 to actually become really good at self-awareness, 
self-diagnosis of whether or not how, how you're feeling and how your body feels. One of the things that I think might be shocking, though, to most is that only about 1% of people are creators, quote, quote, unquote, in this day and age. And a lot of it's because all that has been hijacked by like, if you're, if you're happy or you're in flow at all, then you're not, you know, one of the Borg and you're, you know, not consenting to everything that's going on. And so there is a push there is a, you can't be too happy for too much of the time or people are suspicious about you also, right? So there's this interesting uh, fine line that a person is walking all the time when they're a creator and not to be, you know, ill, uh, you know, and not getting the sleep that they need to be healthy, uh, but also understanding that as a creative person, we're actually put on the earth to create. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And most people are so... Um, not like 99% of the population is so out of creative mode because they spend all their time on devices and have somebody else creating for them all the time that when a creative thought comes to them, they don't even actually know what to do with it because they've been programmed from a very young age to not create anything. Like don't step too far out here and there because then obviously you're not following along with instruction. You're not listening to what I've been telling you to do. Like it's a very challenging concept uh, to, to contemplate uh, because we're not encouraged to create. And it's a very, very rare thing these days to be a creative and creator person uh, and a special thing to be a creator also. Uh, so again, it's like becoming mindful of not being ill, understanding when, you, when you're doing things that are not to your health benefit, um, but also having the wisdom to go, you know what, I'm just really, I'm a very creative person. And my creation actually is what makes me healthy and makes me feel like I'm putting things out in the world that are of value. And that I know that by the response that I get from mother nature, which is that I get the energy and the vitality and the wisdom and the clarity to keep going uh, without medication. Um, so, you know, not that you need something to bring you down, uh, but that you are able to step into that creative flow and go, gee, this is actually really nice because it just keeps coming to me uh, and not not being exhausting. And I think maybe that's kind of the balance of, of uh, things, at least from my experience. Yeah. So it's just, it's an interesting and difficult position because when you're talked into thinking that you're sick all the time too, it's like, watch out for this thing that could be happening. And then you're worried all the time, right? About, well, what if I'm like, what if I'm sick? So I think that's an interesting conversation that people are now having where it's almost like nobody would talk about it before. And now that's all that people talk about is how their mental health is. Like, do you notice a big difference in oh, certainly. Yeah. Like I, I admit I am someone that, that rarely follows the news and that's on purpose. Right. Yes. Um, but I do, I do find that when I am on the news, there's more and more stories about mental health. There's more and more uh, celebrities sharing about their mental health. There's seemingly more and more events around mental health awareness and that's one big change uh, since you and I last spoke six years ago. And that's a positive change that I see is more and more awareness events, whether they're very small or very large, whether they're they're corporate or non-corporate. I do find there's more and more awareness events and even courses that people can take. Like, for example, um, there's a course called Mental Health First Aid. 
And for anyone who, listening who has not taken that course, I'd highly, highly suggest you consider taking it. What uh, one of the silver linings of this current time we're living in is that uh, certain companies have stepped up to sponsor um, the teachers teaching that course so that people like myself can take that for free. So actually I took that course in early March and I just did a search on Eventbrite. A friend of mine clued me into that. And uh, I just typed in mental health first aid and I ended up taking it through an organization in the US, 100% free. And I found out that the last few months, there's been a few Canadian organizations and companies that have been sponsoring those courses for people to take them free. So uh, it's I learned a lot and got some amazing reminders. And um, yeah, so that's, I guess, a little bit of a tangent from your original question, but I thought I'd tie that in because it's, uh, it's an incredible resource that I benefited from. And I personally wish that, that everyone could take mental health first aid because then I feel people would be more skilled and also more discerning when seeing stories on the media and when hearing stories from their family and friends about mental health. It's like, okay, what what is critical? What's not critical? What can I ask them? How can I support them? As opposed to just worrying about the person or hearing a story in the media and and getting all worked up about it. So I just thought that's kind of a positive spin that I just thought I'd bring into the conversation. No, well, thank you. That's great. Yeah. I, and so when you say, I like that you say, how can I support them? I think that's a really great question for people to ask themselves. How do you support people who are, or how do you support people's mental health? Is it's a great question. So, I mean, what I learned from that course and from my own experience is number one, no judgment. Mm -hmm. Whatever they're going through, whatever they're sharing with you, the, I feel honored when people tell me their mental health struggle and uh, no judgment. So, they might be hesitant to tell you what they're really going through, what they're really thinking. And by telling them overtly, and more importantly, mentally holding the space of no judgment, it means that that person will feel as safe and as comfortable as possible sharing with you. So for me, that's the number one thing. The number two thing is to be totally okay with purely listening. Um, as a lot of people, especially guys, tend to have this fixer mentality that when someone's telling them their problem or their issue, a lot of guys, they instantly are thinking, oh, what can I do? What can I do to tell them? What can I suggest? What can I, what resource can I tell them about? What person can I connect them with, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes that person purely needs a fully present, fully engaged listener. They do not require suggestions or insights or advice. So uh, I would say those are the two biggest things is no judgment and being a good listener. And of course, if someone's in a critical space and state, then of course, it's doing your best to, to calm them down and to, to get them help ASAP. Yeah. So Great. I just didn't want to say anything. <laughs> oh, that's quite right. <laughs> you're, being a fully, you're being a fully engaged, fully present listener, that's which right, I appreciate. It's <laughs> practicing. Exactly. Are you COVID immune? 
The immune response protects us from viruses, and people with strong immune systems kill the virus, and people with weak immune systems, well, get killed by the virus. Quadrimune boosts good immunity while suppressing bad immunity, and Quadrimune can help to activate immunity, suppress inflammation, protect your lungs, and more. So protect you and your family with Quadrimune. Get yours today at MasterYourLife.ca. So let's talk about the root causes of some of these mental health issues, bipolar. Do you have any research or thoughts on what what is causing these things? There's so many things that are potentially causes. And I know for me, I over the years, my my personal causes of why this happened has changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, for the last year and a bit, I've been really diving into medical medium health protocols. And for, for those of you listening who are not aware, medical medium, he's, he's a very polarizing person. Uh, reason being is that he is someone that he channels, which again is controversial for some, but he channels advanced medical knowledge. And what he states is that the knowledge he is sharing with us right now will be common knowledge 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, and will be embraced by the medical community. However, at this point in time, he's very polarizing because I'll just say in my experience, a lot of traditional medically trained professionals say he's a quack. And he was the main person who started the celery juice cleanse and trend. That was like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I remember reading on a, on a Canadian major media site, this nutritionist slamming celery juice saying it's a waste of time. There's no anecdotal or scientific evidence. And in the medical medium community, there's many people that have healed major health issues from celery juice. So I mentioned medical medium because like I said, uh, I guess that was a bit of a intro about medical medium, but about a year and a half ago, I came across one of his podcasts and it was specifically about bipolar disorder and the causes. And what medical medium feels is the main cause is heavy metals in the brain. And I got listening to that and I got thinking and I was kind of going over my my whole life history with heavy metals. Like from a young age, I had a lot of mercury fillings in my mouth. So that's huge. Um, As an adult, I used Teflon cookware a lot. That's heavy metals. Um, I was on a lot of pharmaceuticals with bipolar disorder. And even as a child, I was sick a fair amount in the elementary Mm -hmm. uh, school age. And my understanding, and Leah would know more, but my understanding is that most pharmaceuticals have trace amounts of heavy metals. And those heavy metals from medication, they get stored either in our liver primarily or other parts of our body. And uh, there's many, many other ways that all of us in the Western world that aren't living in a bush take in heavy metals, you know, through our drinking water, potentially through exhaust in the air, you know, even if you're walking down the street and a diesel truck goes by, you you get a whiff of that diesel. That actually, not to scare you, but that actually gets broken down and it gets stored in our body. So, again, it's it's a big topic. But over the last year, I 
I'm starting to wonder if that's the one of the main reasons why I developed bipolar disorder. So um, with medical medium protocol, I've been uh, every day pretty well since mid-June of last year, I've been drinking a heavy metal detox smoothie. And um, I kid you not, the first two days I did that smoothie, when I urinated, it smelled like aluminum. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. And he also said that when you have a bowel movement after drinking the smoothie, it'll most likely sink to the bottom of the toilet. And that, that happened. So, so personally, I feel heavy metals are a big thing. Um, some people strongly say that it's uh, genetic or her- hereditary. For me, I'm still not 100% sure of that. I, I personally feel it's more the lifestyle patterns that are hereditary. Um, and then other people feel that if someone had a very traumatic event in their childhood, that that could make them predisposed to developing bipolar disorder. I know for me, um, my, my father died when I was 12. And uh, my mom had major medical issues when I was a teenager. So those two combined events may have led to that. And then I do have a really good friend who Leah knows as well. I won't mention their name, um, but he, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And he feels that it's a spiritual reason why that happened. And there's a part of me that feels that's somehow intertwined in there. So as you can tell, the jury is not officially out in terms of the official, official cause of bipolar disorder. But I personally feel it's a blend of, of heavy metals, trauma, and a spiritual component. That's where I currently sit, and that may or may not change a year from now. <laughs> so. That's okay. We won't, we won't hold you to it. But I love that you bring that up about the heavy metals. And this is a funny thing. I'm a farm girl, and my uh, best friend now for 30 plus years now I don't want to age myself but a long time we've been very dear friends she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and we were talking about this whole heavy metal thing being such a serious thing and she goes oh for goodness sake Leah like we used to use lead-based paint and um, Mm. I remember washing my hair in gasoline to get the paint out (laughs) like that that was just something we did we just went you know get the gas out, get the lead-based paint out. I totally was like, yes, I did the same thing. We washed our hands in gasoline to get things off, you know. So there's all kinds of very interesting um, ways that these toxins get in our body. Our food is very compromised too now with all of the herbicides and pesticides um, that are just in our food source. So some people have never been well, Scott, right out of the womb. Very true. So, you know, at 50 something, again, not to age myself too much, but <laughs> this, uh, that people will say to me often, how do you, how, why are you so well? How do you, how do you be so well? I just knew, I grew up on a farm. We had great food. We always grew it ourselves. We, um, you know, took care of all of even growing our meat. So we had no steroids. Um, everything was uh, butchered clean. You know, so when people go, oh, you got to be vegan, you got to be all this uh, you, you know, jury's out on that. I guess everyone's got to make their own opinion about what the, how they want to eat. But just knowing at the basic sort of bases is that all of the majority of the food's been hijacked. So when I look at my children, the stuff that they have eaten compared to what I ate, growing up on a farm, completely different diets. And my kids eat um, home-cooked meals all the time, but just the ingredients that go into them are not the same thing. 
And so when we've got, you know, a generation or two now that have had so much food that's been compromised and drinking pops and sodas and juices that are all full of really a ton of sugar, um, you know, that that compromises brain function and the immunity of your body. So even aging is accelerated for most people because of the, the food that they're consuming. So energy and frequency, I completely uh, everything is energy and frequency. That's my thought. And so whether it's spiritual, whether it's nutrition and stuff that you're ingesting, whether it's your conscious thoughts that you're doing your mindfulness practice, you know, to change those conscious thoughts when you first get up in the morning uh, or the people who you hang out with or the amount of TV that you watch it all changes that energy and frequency. So when you stack that up day after day after day, if you're feeding the energy and frequency machine with these good positive vibrations and you know nature is lovely and it's all lovely, then you feel great. But when you've got those elements coming at you and they're not necessarily that friendly, they're hostile, <laughs> it's a completely different scenario. You know, so I love that you start with mindfulness practices. Can you share like a, what is some of the first things that you do first thing in the morning that help you to stay conscious, consciously creating? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, the first thing I do probably every day is is universal spheres. So I, I do the first one for things I'm grateful for. Um, and some of them are, are seemingly cliche. But I almost always say I'm grateful to have a roof over my head. I'm grateful to have food in my fridge. I'm grateful for the wonderful family and friends that I have. And then I, I do a series of them for, for my own personal health and my own personal journey along with my business. And then I, I always do some universal spheres for my family and friends. So that's the first thing I do. And what I love about that is that it, it automatically raises my vibration whether I feel that or not. Most of the times I yawn a lot when I'm doing energy work for myself. And for me, yawning is a sign that there's a lot of energy moving. So that's the first thing I do in terms of mindfulness. And then a second thing that I, I almost always do it, not 100% of the time, is I'll ask myself a few questions like, who can I support today? How can I serve? How can I make the world a better place? Those are questions that I often ask myself. And then a third thing that I do is I either listen or read to a small a small portion of some sort of mindset book or audio, just even for a minute, just to get a little bit of a kickstart for my mindset. And, uh, and then another mindfulness thing that I do personally is I do my best to not use technology in any way for the first hour minimum that I'm awake. And uh, that includes even like checking the weather and all that sort of stuff. Because bottom line is, unless I'm going somewhere, I don't really have to know what the weather is the first hour I'm awake. And that would be the main thing I would use technology for is to check the weather. But I find that quite often, once I check the weather, then I check this, then I check this, then I think about this person, send this person a message, and then bam, technology is full on. So that's personally what I do in terms of mindfulness to start my day. Thank you so much for sharing that with everybody. I think that one of the one of the things that you did that was brilliant that's helped me a lot along the way too was making myself my business. My business had to be about my health because that held me accountable to how serious I took it. 
right? So if other, if people are actually going, like I'm my own program manager, every time I show up, what are people actually seeing and experiencing of me? And how am I, you know, from that observer thing, how am I actually creating that the person that I want to be, that leader that I want to be. So that insight, intelligence, and inspiration to be my best version of my best self has to start with my own practices. And that's what I love about you, Scott, really is that you look exactly the same as you looked six years ago. You look the same. So it's very funny. You haven't aged. Uh, and so when people are looking for health coaches, when you're talking about a mental stability coach, you look like the epitome of what it is that you are coaching people for. So you're living it, which is so important, I think, to have leaders that are credible. So again, Scott, thank you so much for your um, hard work. How can people get a hold of you? How can people find the work that you're doing? Oh, thanks for asking. And again, I appreciate all your kind words about me. They're all very appreciated. Um, to find out more about me, the easiest is to go to my website. It's tiaho.org. And I know that's a different name for a lot of you. So it's T as in Tom, I as in Igloo, A as in Apple, H as in Hotel, O as in Oscar.org. And um, from the website uh, at the bottom, you can see all my, my social media profiles, like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I also recently became a teacher on an app called Insight Timer, which is a meditation app. So yeah, easiest is just to go to tiaho.org. There's, uh, there's a ton of blog posts, there's resources. And of course, if anyone feels resonated or resonates with potentially working with me, uh, there's different offerings and services on there as well. Fantastic. And we'll make sure that we put all your information in our show notes after the production of this uh, webinar. So uh, thanks again, Scott. I want to encourage people to go and check out the work you're doing. Get your brains straightened out, people. Love yourselves. Love each other. Mind your minds. That's all for us. Bye for now. Thank you for being a part of our program today. Master Your Life is a presentation of Leah Mattinson Enterprises, Inc. Join us next time on Master Your Life helping you to discover the very best of you.